take that. Pastor reminded me that I had sang here once before, and I, he, I didn't remember it because I tried to put that stuff out of my mind like probably most of you did that Sunday as well, but uh, he reminded me of it. I had sang a song here, and I didn't, uh, I don't have, I'd have to have the words in front of me. I haven't sang anywhere else or sang it since, but maybe he said this afternoon you're doing some singing and testimonies. Maybe I'll sing it this afternoon if you want me to since he requested it. I mean, he's the town mayor, so gotta, if I want to keep my job as a marshal, I got to, you know, I got to make sure I'm good with that, so... All right, Matthew chapter 17, we're going to pick up in verse number 1. You'll be familiar with this portion of Scripture. This is at the, on the Mount of Transfiguration. It says, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto him, or said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Heavenly Father, this morning we ask you to add your blessing now to the reading of your word. Father, we've come to this place to worship you today. Come to this place to please you today. Come to this place to present clearly the gospel. If there be anybody under the sound of the preaching this morning that does not know Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray today would be the day of their salvation. Father, use us, I pray, to do your work and your will and in your way. Cleanse me and make me whole in a vessel that you can use. May your Holy Spirit speak through and use me. May it have his way with our hearts and lives today. May we pay attention, listen to your word, and apply it to our own lives as we need. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen. I guess if I had to title, I know you guys title messages, I guess I would say an old-fashioned Savior for an old-fashioned Sunday. Amen? This portion of Scripture is an interesting one because I can't imagine being there on the Mount of Transfiguration, seeing what those men saw. They had grown up as Jews. They had heard about, of course, Moses and Elias or Elijah and the testimony that those men had before the Lord. They were patriarchs in their faith and their belief. And to have them standing there and seeing them standing there with Jesus, who, by the way, they were walking with every day, so they had a, they got Jesus right there in front of them. They had never seen Moses or Elijah before, and so you've got to understand where their excitement comes from, but they kind of lose sight of things a little bit, don't they? Uh, it's exciting that they see these two Old Testament prophets and these saints of God, but on the other hand, they have God himself standing in front of them, and they put, almost put there, for just a moment, they almost put them all on an equal level and want to build a tabernacle to all three, one for each one. And of course, that isn't what our eyes are supposed to be on. And once, of course, Jesus speaks and God speaks and Jesus touches them, their reality and their sense of perception comes back to them and they see Jesus only. That's where we need to be in our lives, is in a position where we see Jesus only. This world is so full of distractions and there's so many things that we put in front of us or between us and the Lord. And so many times those things become distractions. And when we lose and we become distracted and we lose our sight of him and him only, that's when we start to make choices and decisions like they were making there as they looked upon all three. I think it's an interesting thing 
as we look at the world today and the mess there is, it is in, I, I believe that there is a single reason for that. And I believe that we can put a lot of little reasons underneath this, but I believe there's one single reason. And I want to kind of open up this morning, if I can, with the theme of this by just reading some portions of Scripture you to point this out to you. I'm going to go back. You don't have to turn these places. I'm going to read them to you. I'll tell you where they are, and you can mark them down and look at them later if you desire. But I'm going to start with Isaiah. We're going to go to the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 53. You all know this portion of Scripture very well. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 3. It says this, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every man to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearer is dumb, so, openeth, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. We're in the Old Testament. The Old Testament we find preaching on the Lord Jesus Christ. Before they even really knew who he was or who he would be, they're preaching on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we go over to the New Testament, and we read in the book of Acts, chapter number 8, another account that you're very familiar with. In fact, it refers back to this Old Testament account. It says, And Philip ran thither to him and, headed, and, and, sorry, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, which was what we just read, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, this accords of course to the Ethiopian eunuch, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him, Jesus. We see the preaching of Jesus in the Old Testament. We see the preaching of Jesus in the New Testament. Then in the 1800s, there was a fellow by the name of D.L. Moody, which many of you have heard of. D.L. Moody preached from 1837 to about 1899. And in one of his messages, and we could use many or all of his messages to declare such things as this, but in one of his messages, I'll use for example, he said this. I want to ask you a question. Not what you think of this church or that church, not what you think of this minister or that minister. Not what you think of this creed or that creed. Not what you think of this denomination or that denomination. The question is not what you think of this belief or that belief, but what think ye of Christ. I want you just to ask yourself this question. Do you believe in Christ? Do you believe that he was the Son of God? Do you believe that he was the God-man? 
Do you believe that he was with God before the morning stars sang together and voluntarily left heaven and came down into this world? Whose son was he? Was he the son of man and the son of God? He went off the scene in about 1899, and in 1896, there was a fellow by the name of Billy Sunday who began preaching. And he preached up until 1935, some 20,000-plus sermons that he preached during that time. And in one of Billy Sunday's messages, we would read these words. The atoning blood of Jesus Christ, that is the thing about which all else centers. Jesus gave his life on the cross for any who will believe. We're not redeemed by silver or gold. Jesus paid for it with his blood. When someone tells you that your religion is a bloody religion, the Bible is a bloody book, tell them yes. Christianity is a bloody religion. The gospel is a bloody gospel. The Bible is a bloody book. The plan of redemption is bloody. It is. You take the blood of Jesus Christ out of Christianity and the book isn't worth the paper it is written on. It would be worth no more than your body with the blood taken out of it. Take the blood of Jesus Christ out and it would be a meaningless jargon of jumbled words. He went off the scene. There was a fellow in 1932 that got called to preach, and he went until 1992, and his name was Lester Roloff. Lester Roloff said this, Fact is, I can remember the time when people went to church in old-fashioned brush arbor and tabernacle revival campaigns to get the shock treatment. Some blessed, old mouth, loud-mouthed, drunk-preaching preacher would shock the devil out of them, and they would sweep over their sins, and they would cry and confess and forsake them. And when the preachers and churches quit giving shock treatments... Folks had to start going to the psychiatrists. And the psychiatrists would make an attempt, at a mighty cost to the mind, to shock the past out of them. When Jesus Christ said that his blood would cover the past and he would remember our sins against us, no more. Amen and amen. Old Testament prophets, New Testament saints of God, an old revivalist of golden eras and times gone by, preaching one thing and one thing in common, and that was Jesus Christ. I believe that the problem today is that we've stopped preaching Jesus Christ. The name of God is used generically all over the world today, and it can mean many things to many different people, but there's only one name by which we come to the only true and living God. There's only one name by which one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. There's only one, day, one way to the almighty, sovereign God of heaven, the God of Israel, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. The world today only knows his name when it comes out of their mouth with some, brain, some profane vanity or some profanity attached before or after it. I'm so tired of hearing it on the streets and shows up on television and in music and everywhere you go today, the only time you hear his name is when it's blasphemed. He was, the church today doesn't want much to do with him in the general sense. I'm not talking about this church, but the church around, churches of the nation today don't have much to do with him because... He was narrowly minded, and he certainly was not politically correct. Jesus never set out to uh, accept the ideals of this world. In fact, he stood in opposition to them all. The church day has stopped preaching because preaching what Jesus said and preaching the word of God gives them no wiggle room for their sin, and it runs people off. Stop talking about him. Jesus came, they'll say, to love and he preached love and tolerance. And he tells us to accept each other and just be good to each other, accepting each other's differences. And, and that's what they'll tell you today. And I just figured, since this is old-fashioned Sunday, and you asked me to preach, I'd just do some old-fashioned preaching, and we'd just preach Jesus this morning. Amen. And look, uh, if you don't like it, it's his fault. 
And I'm going to do what God has laid upon my heart to do, and I'm going to do, I believe, it with the agreement of your pastor as he just said amen. So we're going to move forward this morning preaching about Jesus. I mentioned a moment ago, I think the biggest problem in the world today is there's not enough Jesus. He's not mentioned in the context of biblical principles when he is mentioned, and if people do talk about him, and even within churches today, it's in some context of their own making. It's in some man's idea of what Jesus is or who Jesus is. We have this idea, and I've preached in here before, about the American Jesus. We have an Americanized Jesus Christ, if you will. We've made a Jesus or created Jesus that accepts American ideals instead of making American ideals around Christ, which is what this country was founded on originally. As I started doing this study in preparation for today, I found that there is no less than 10 reasons that Jesus specifically spoke himself about the reason why he came. And we all have ideas, and people will tell you in different religions and denominations will give you reasons why they believe Jesus was here, but Jesus spoke about it specifically and exactly, saying, I came for, or because of this, I come. So don't you think it would be interesting to hear from Jesus about, from himself about why he came this morning? I thought that would be a good place for us to go today, and so some of them might even surprise you a little bit as we get to them. Now, I know what you're thinking. I said there's 10 reasons, and I know you're knowing there's food back there, right? And I also understand the context of it all is we are sitting in an independent fundamental Baptist church, and I know how much we love money. In fact, brother offended me this morning. He mentioned gluttony. And I don't like people talking about gluttony, especially right before eating time. What is wrong with him? You have to have a talk with him after sir. Listen, I know where we're at, and I know what's coming, and... I mean, when we start to smell that food as it comes down the hallway and makes its way into the sanctuary, I know the attention span is going to be small. So what does that tell you? It tells you this. Just like you, I'd rather eat than hear me preach, and so I'll make each point short and sweet. Let's look at the first one. In John chapter 6 and verse 38, and you can write these down because I've got a, probably 20 or 30 different scriptures that we'll be going to this morning or talking about, so you won't have time to turn to them all. So if you don't want to turn, you can, look, you can write them down and look them up. John chapter 6 and verse 38 Jesus made this statement. For I am come down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Let's look first of all at the fact Jesus Christ said he came for the purpose of doing the Father's will. Now we are going to see as we go through this this morning very clearly what the Father's will was, but understand that God Almighty, before a man ever sinned, already had prepared and had a plan in place for sinful man and a way for us to reunite or a way for us to connect again with him when sin would separate us. God always had this plan for us. It was there before the foundation of the world. It was the plan of God the Father that his son would come and that he would die upon the cross and he would die for the remission of our sins. Listen, there is a song out there that mentions and says something about they searched all over heaven, find one willing to go. There was never a search in heaven trying to find out who would go. It was always going to be Jesus. Jesus was going to be the one who would come and would suffer and die for you and I. God knew that before the foundation of the world. He came to do the will of his Father. Now understand that the will of his Father was not an easy will. He mentioned this morning that we are on the easy end of salvation. If you missed Sunday school, you missed a good lesson this morning. It's a good thing to be here. It's only an hour early, and it's still not early. It's 10 o'clock, right? You get up earlier than that to go to work or school. How important is church to you? Amen? Sorry, but you miss Sunday school, you miss a lot. He mentioned this morning that we are on the easy end of the receiving salvation. All we do is receive salvation. The hard part of it was done by the Lord Jesus Christ, and it was. More than we like to sit around and think about sometimes, more than we like to remember sometimes, more than we like to uh, let ourselves imagine and remember how much he loved us and what he went through for us, but we need to keep our mindset on the fact that it was not easy. Your salvation was not an easy thing. It was easy for you to receive, but that's it. 
The will of the Father was not an easy thing. Jesus was there in the garden the night he was arrested, and as he prayed, he prayed to the, to the Father that if it be possible that this cup would pass from him. But yet he prayed, not my will, but thine be done. Listen, I, I have said this in here before, and there's faces that I haven't seen before, but I think it's important that we understand and realize this. And I believe pastors online with this because he never corrected me afterwards. And I always tell him, let me know if I said something that you don't agree with. Now, maybe he did after I left. Maybe he got up Sunday morning and said, you know what, Brother Holfager, or Wednesday night said what Brother Holfager said. Was, no, I don't know. Listen, I believe that Jesus Christ, and when you study Scripture, I believe I can prove this with the Word of God, that Jesus Christ at any time could have walked away. Did he not tell Peter, I could have called? Did he not say that? He could have called angels to set him free. He could have done that. I believe that Jesus, being the second Adam, was given free choice just as Adam was, but yet was without sin. He did not walk away, and by his own choice, he stayed in the will of the Father. Listen, that's how much he loved you. He came for the Father's will, to perform and to do the Father's will. Jesus didn't come down here to live. He came down here to die so that you and I might live. This was the Father's will. And he knew, listen to me, Jesus Christ being God, I believe he knew the suffering and the pain that he was about to endure. I believe he knew what that was going to be like. He created man. Jesus Christ was there at creation. In the beginning, he was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Listen, all things were created. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He was there at creation. He made you. He's the one who put the nerve endings in your body. He knows what kind of pain you feel. He knows what kind of pain we feel when we go through suffering, when we go through hurt. He knows what it feels like to stub your toe in the middle of the night, to have an arm cut off, to be in an accident, to have head trauma. He knows what all those things feel like. He put, it, he put and designed in us those things that create and cause those pain. Sin's the, what brought it forth, but it was put in us. God made us. He knows everything about us. He knew what kind of suffering lay ahead. And yet he prayed for the Father's will. Look, I didn't put this message together this morning with the thought or the intention in mind of making this something that we could take pointed at ourselves, but look, if something fits, we need to understand God's desire for you and I is that we do His will. And we don't want to do His will if His will has any cost attached to it. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ came to do the Father's will no matter what the cost was? Listen, if... You're lost this morning. I want you to pay very close attention to this because I want you to understand this is why God came to this earth in the form of Jesus Christ was for these reasons. And I want you to see the love of God for you in these things. So he came, first of all, to do the will of his Father. Then in John chapter 18 and verse 37, we'd see the second one. He's standing before Pilate here. And Pilate... Therefore said unto him, it says in John 18, 37, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Jesus came secondly, came first to do the will of the Father, came secondly to bear witness of the truth. You know, Jesus came to bear witness of himself. He said in John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. He, of course, is the truth. He is the living truth. The truth was presented before them. The truth spoke. The truth was there all the time, talking to them, speaking with them. Everything that came out of the mouth of Jesus Christ was nothing but truth. You can't say that about anybody else in this room that you might chat with. 
because we all got our own little twist on things. Sometimes, even when we think we're telling the truth, our perception in itself isn't true. We're, Jesus Christ, every word that came from his mouth was, mouth was truth. He came to proclaim and to bear witness of truth. And can I tell you, that is exactly why the crowds and the masses turned on him was because he bare witness of the truth. And people don't like the truth and things haven't changed. People today don't like the truth. When we preach Christ, we preach truth. And when we preach truth, we're hated. The churches aren't full today because people don't want to hear the truth. The truth is a hard thing to take. We, you know, we even set people up to lie. We don't even want to hear the truth ourselves when we ask questions sometimes. You know, think about the number of times you've put something on and you look at yourself in the mirror and you thought, this doesn't look very good, but you go to somebody else for a, a, another opinion. Like normally the husband or wife, right? How do I look, honey? Well, you know, I mean, when they ask you that question, it's a no-win situation, right? Because if you tell them they look good and they don't, then you know you're lying. And if you tell them they don't look good and you're in trouble then the other way, so, I mean... Don't even ask. Do your husband or your wife a favor. Don't even ask, right? Is it, it, we almost set each other up to not tell the truth, and we almost expect that there won't be truth. We are constantly saying things that aren't 100% true, but nothing that ever came out of the mouth of Jesus Christ was anything but truth. And when we preach that book, we're speaking truth. He said in John, I think it's 17, 17, thy word is truth. You see, that's why... Churches don't grow and get massive in size like these other churches do because the ones that preach the word are preaching truth. And we are in a world today where nobody wants to hear the truth because the truth doesn't line up with their way of thinking. The truth doesn't line up with the transgender movement. The truth doesn't line up with the, the sodomite movement. The truth doesn't line up with these things. Doesn't line up. You know, we, and, and it's the funniest thing, I've, I've watched some of these, these uh, people that go out and pose it, and some of them aren't even Christians, they just go out and stand against it, and, and they'll make a comment that your perceived truth that isn't really true at all doesn't have to become my falsehood as well. I don't have to live with your untruth. But in this world today, if you don't accept my untruth, then there's something wrong with you. You know, I heard one of these people ask somebody in the crowd one day, well, why aren't you 50? It was a young girl, probably 25, and why aren't you 50? Well, what do you mean, why aren't you 50? Well, you, you say that you can be what you want, well, then why aren't you 50? Well, I can't be 50. Neither can you be male when you're female. You can't make that choice. It's not up to you. God created you in a certain way. But yet, it's not so bad that they want to live that lie, but it's so bad that they want to make us have to live the lie with them. So you get forced into a position, or they try to force you into a position where if you don't call her or him because that's what he desires then or she desires then they get mad and you look like you're intolerant and you're a bad person and why can't you just let them do what you want i can't let them do what they want because it's not truth you want to live in a fantasy world you live in a fantasy world but I, you cannot make me nor do you have any right to try to force me into living that fantasy world with you listen jesus christ spoke the truth and people don't like the truth it's good when your pastor gets up here and preaches the truth but sometimes people sit there and think to themselves, boy, he's going to offend somebody, he's going to run him off. Jesus never worried about that, did he? You remember that throughout his uh, ministry here, he had multitudes. We read that many times in Scripture, and the multitudes followed him. But he always spoke his truth, the truth. Well, it was that same multitude that followed him that at the end was yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And the reason why was because of truth. They didn't like what he had to say. He came to bear witness of truth. 
Thirdly, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says this, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus came thirdly to fulfill the law. To fulfill the law. Now let me make this very clear to you. The law never saved anybody. Okay, as a matter of fact, the law is, our, according to Scripture, our schoolmaster. In other words, the law puts into perspective the fact that you and I can never be good enough. The law reveals to us that we are all sinners. The law reveals to us that, we are, that there is none righteous, no, not one. The law is very, clearly, is very clear to us, and it shows us just how bad we really are. See, he didn't come to fulfill the, the law as what it states. He came to fulfill the back half of the law, which is the penalty for violations of the law. You see, with every violation of the law, we know this in society today, with every violation of the law, there is some penalty that is attached to that violation. The violation of God's law is condemnation as eternity in hell. That's the penalty. That's the finishing of the law. The finishing of the law is the penalty of the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. In other words, he came to, to pay the penalty for the violations of the law. It's not that the law isn't pertinent anymore. It's not that we don't need to follow the law anymore. I can't stand this crowd out there today that says, well, I can do whatever I want because we're not under the law anymore. No, listen, we are still under the law, but we do not have to be under the law, of, under the penalty of the law or violations of the law because that was paid for. That's what Jesus came to fulfill. He came and he died on the cross. He paid your sin debt and my sin debt. He took it away. He removed it. It's, he died for everybody. There isn't a person in this world tonight that he didn't die for. There isn't a person alive tonight who hasn't had their sins already paid for. There isn't a person alive tonight or today, this morning, that hasn't already had the judgment part of their breaking of the law paid for. Because he died for everyone. The only difference in people are those that have received the pardon that he offers and those that have not. There's nothing you have to do but accept him. There's nothing you have to do but accept the pardon he offers you. To understand that you are a violator of the law and you do deserve the punishment of a violator of the law, but understand that Jesus Christ already paid it for you in receiving that pardon. He came to fulfill the law. The law is just as important as it ever was. It still points men to the fact that we are unholy and unrighteous. It does the same job that it's always done. It never saved anybody, but following the law never got anybody into heaven. It's the blood. Always been the blood. Always. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. There wasn't for Abel. He had to shed blood. And we go on back throughout Scripture. Listen, he came to fulfill the law. Fourthly, John chapter 15, verse 22, it says this. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not known, or they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. Jesus came to reveal sin. He came to reveal sin. Well, preacher, I hope you don't preach about sin in this place because you're just being judgmental. Look, Jesus came to reveal sin. If I stand, now you, some of you might have got offended. I don't know everybody here. Maybe somebody got offended because I mentioned something about sodomy or, or, or the transgeneration or whatever. Maybe somebody got upset with me about that. But listen, that's just revealing sin. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to reveal sin. I, I'm not, look, I, what you do with that is going to be between you and God. I'm not the one who's going to pass sentence on you. That's God. 
I'm not the one who even said it was wrong. To be honest with you, in my life, I could live my own personal life, do the things I want to do, and what you're doing and how you're living isn't going to affect me in any way. I don't preach against it because it has an effect on me. I preach against it because it's going to affect you one day. I'm trying to reveal it to you so you know, so you can at least make a good guess while the rest of the world's out there patting you on the back and telling you, oh, that's okay, you be whatever you want to be, and that's okay, I'll support you, and that's all right. Oh, you were probably born this way, or, or I understand. Or Look, while the world's out there telling you all that stuff, they're not revealing the sin. They don't love you, and they don't care about you because they don't care what your eternity holds. The reason why a good church like this will preach against that stuff is because they care. Part of the job of the church is to reveal sin. Don't have churches preaching against sin anymore, calling out sin by name, drunkenness, adultery, fornication, on the lying, cheating, stealing. We don't have people standing and preaching against sin anymore. Jesus came to reveal sin. What is sin? It's a violation of the word of God. For him that knoweth to good, do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. Any violation of scripture on, on the pro or the content, on the to do or the not to do list, it's sin. Fifthly, John 12, 46. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Jesus came to be a light. And this world is a dark place. It's getting darker by the day. Jesus Christ came to be light. You understand that darkness is simply the lack of light. Darkness is nothing of an in and of itself. Darkness doesn't exist. It comes about when light is removed. It's the absence of light. That's what darkness is. The world was a dark place. The world's a dark place to do. Today, and the more we move away from Jesus Christ, and the more we push him aside, and the more we refuse to preach him, and the more we talk about him, and the more we acknowledge him in our lives, the darker world becomes because the more of the light we're pushing away. He came to be the light, and he is the light. We know that when we get to heaven, there won't be a sun there, S-O, or S-U-N, because there's going to be the sun, S-O-N, and he will light heaven. He is the sun, as Malachi calls him, the sun, S-U-N, it refers to him in Malachi, the sun of righteousness, Jesus Christ, he's the light. In John 8, 12, he said, Then spake Jesus again on them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Listen, we're born again, we should be following him, we shouldn't be walking around in the darkness of this world, we should be walking in his light. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 9, and I quoted part of this a minute ago. It says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light to all men that through him might believe. He was not that light, but he sent to bear witness of that light, that was the true light, and that word light, as we read those, that portion of Scripture, is a capital, it's Jesus Christ, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Jesus Christ came to be the light. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. We're a wicked generation of people to begin with. Jesus came to be a light. Again, it's like revealing the sin. Look, the light is what reveals the sin. The darkness in our lives, the darkness of our hearts represents the sin in our lives. And the only way that we get that light and the only way that we see the truth, the only way we get the sin revealed is through Jesus Christ. And this is why he came. 
Look, your sin probably didn't bother you one lick until you heard about Jesus. Your sin probably didn't bother you one bit until you got saved. Now the things that you used to do that you did every day that didn't bother you at all, now they bother you because you're born again, because now the light's been shined on those things. It changes us. He changes us. Now these next one I'm going to bring up to you will be contrary to what this world believes in Jesus, but... John chapter 9, verse 39, it's all going to be a, an understanding of this word that I'm about to use and what we're about to read here, but, and we'll cover it in the next two points. It says in John 9, 39, and Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that they which see not might see, and they which see might not, or might be made blind. He said he came for judgment. He came for judgment. What are we here today when the preacher gets up, we hear the, don't judge me. When you go to somebody and you talk to them about sin that maybe you revealed, and you talk to them personally, which is, by the way, it should be handled. If a brother or sister in church is living outside the will of God and you know about it, you don't go and tell everybody else in church. You go and you talk to them. Because your purpose ought to be in helping them. It's not to belittle them, it's not to put them down. So try to restore them. That sure isn't my job. We're going to see this in a minute with Christ. Look, we stand, there are two aspects to judgment. Pastor, you correct me if I'm wrong. There's two aspects to judgment. One is pointing out sin. Pointing out the wrong. That's judging. And the Bible says judge righteous judgment. The only way we judge righteous judgment is through the word of God. In other words, I'm not going to go to you because you don't live the way I do unless there's a biblical principle or biblical idea to it. Maybe you don't like to wear the same, I mean, something, I'm picking this totally stupid, but just to give you an example, because you don't wear uh, the same color shirts I wear, because, I don't, well, there's preachers out there, he'll, go, he'll, t- he'll tell you this, there's preachers out there that will only wear white shirts on Sunday, on Sunday mornings, or only wear white in the pulpit. That's a personal, if they've got that belief, that's fine. But I'd never go to another preacher and say, well, man, you're not right with God, you're not wearing a white shirt when you stand up in the pulpit on Sunday morning. And we've been caught up in that foolishness through the years. Remember the time when there was wire rim glasses were a sin? You remember back in those days? Look, that's, that's foolishness. But when there's truly a sin, we judge righteous judgment by judging by the book. If I can't take you to a chapter and verse and show you where it's wrong, then I don't need to be judging you over it. But when it is something violation of Scripture, we need to do that half of the judgment aspect. We don't just sit back and allow you to slip further and further into sin. Because the further into sin you get, the harder it is to get back. Then the second half of judgment is the passing of condemnation of sentence to the judge, to the sentencing to the violation. Okay, Jesus came to judge, and when he talks about here that he came to uh, judge, he's talking about the same thing we talked about in the revealing of sin. Jesus came to point out sin, to bring about the acknowledgement of sin. Jesus said, for judgment I come into this world. Listen, that they which see not might see. In other words, he's trying to reveal to them the sin. He's trying to show them and judge them on the aspect that they are violating the law. Now, I'm going to couple this with point number seven because they have to run hand in hand. Point number seven, he said, in John 12, 47, if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Is that a contradiction? No. It's the word in its context. Again, two sides of judgment. One is revealing sin, the other one's passing condemnation. 
Understand that Jesus Christ did not come to this earth to pass the condemnation. He came to judge or reveal your sin to you and to try to help, just as the church is supposed to do, by the way, to help restore you. He gives you a path or he gives you a way to restore a relationship with God. When they brought that woman caught in adultery before him, he never questioned it. He didn't say, well, I know you didn't do it. He didn't. Those people didn't pull somebody out of the crowd that wasn't involved in sin. She was involved in the sin. But Jesus didn't pass the condemnation half of the judgment upon her. He told her what she was doing was wrong, and he told her to do it no more. But he did not sentence her. You understand the difference? Your pastor doesn't stand up here and preach against sin and then turn around and say to you, that's it, you're done, hell with you. You're going to hell, right? To hell with you. He doesn't say that, does he? What does he do? If he catches us in sin, he'll pull you aside and he'll try to restore you. That's our job. And by the way, we're Christians, right? We call ourselves Christians, right? Which is Christ-like. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus came to point out or reveal the sin, that half of the judgment aspect, but he didn't pass the condemnation. He provided a way for us to miss that judgment. His call is for us to come to him and receive that pardon, if you will. Do you understand the difference in those two things? Because that is important that we get that. It is not yours and my job to pass the condemnation part of the sin off. It is yours and my job to reveal the sin and to try to help to restore, to point a person to Christ. It's not a contradiction when he says, I came to judge, and then he says, I, I came not to judge. It's not a contradiction. You've got to keep it in its context. Listen, in, in, in confirming this in Luke chapter 9, verse 40, 56, he says, A son of man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. In other words, destroy or, or, or cause destruction. That's what the word save means. To deliver from destruction. That's what it means. He said, I didn't come to sentence you to hell. I came to provide for you a way out of it. Some of you are looking at me and you still don't get this. And I don't want to leave this point until I know you've got this because it's important to understand this part of why Jesus came. He does point out sin and he does preach against sin and he does talk about sin and he calls men vipers and he calls them father of the, like the, their father of the devil. He preaches hard and he preaches against sin, but he does not turn around and pass the sentence. He provided the escape from the sentence. And then we find in John 10, 10, he says, the thief come not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. We see two things there on the reason why I came. I've put them all together into number eight. He came to give life. In other words, he came to make that which was dead alive. You say, well, who is that? Does that mean raising people from the dead? It means raising people from the spiritual death that you and I are, were all in at one time until we were made alive, or as the Bible refers to as being quickened or made alive. We were all dead in our trespasses and sin, and he came to die for, that, for those sins, and when we receive him, he makes us alive, or he quickens us spiritually. You understand that the lost world around us tonight, the lost world out there tonight, if you're lost this morning, sometimes you'll hear preachers talk about things, and people that are Christians talk about things, and you go, how do they see that as good when it's really bad? Because you're not spiritually alive yet, and you don't have the vision as, as a spiritual a vision, if you will, to see something in an eternal light, or in the light of the Word of God, or in the light of the kingdom of God. See, I know we're a bunch of weird people to most people out there, but we're supposed to be a peculiar people. Our view doesn't go along with what most of the world feels today. You know, any, any sin we could bring up, we, we would talk about the chance, I don't know why trans things come up so well, maybe because it's such a hot topic today. But look, it's weird to this world that we call ourselves Christians, but yet we don't, 
We don't love. Look, we love those people that are involved in that stuff. We love them. We love them so bad we want them to come to Christ. We want to miss eternal damnation. We want to miss judgment on that half of judgment. We want to miss all that. We want to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not here to condemn the sinner. I'm here to condemn the sin. That's our job. We probably love them more than those people that call themselves their friends love them. Because we'll give them the truth. Well, all their friends pat them on the back while they, they, were, they, they die and go to hell and pat them on the back all the way there. That's what we don't want. That's what Jesus didn't want. Listen, Jesus came for specific reasons. It's not what this world thinks. He came to give life. He came to bring those that were dead spiritually alive and to give us life. And if you're born again, you know what that feels like. And he came to give us that life more abundantly. Listen to me, church. Don't get caught up in this mentality today that everything, because you're saved, everything is going to be great and wonderful. He's not talking about that. We're talking about spiritual life. That's what he's referring to here. Came to give them life. He's speaking on a spiritual sense to give them life and to give them that spiritual life more abundantly. Before you got saved, you didn't have any spiritual life. And that abundance of our spiritual life is that when we die, we are going to heaven one day. And because of that, I don't have to carry everything going on down here. This is nothing. This makes little, little care for concern because it's so short and it's going to be over. But eternally, I have life with him. Abundant life. Eternal life. What's more abundant than eternal? Forever I get to live in heaven. As we heard this morning in Sunday school, again, the tears dried from their eyes. No more parting and no more sorrow. No more pain, no more sickness, no more any of that. That's living life abundantly and spiritually. I can have that life and I will have it. You and I one day will be in heaven. That life's more abundant. Not even to mention that we do get benefits here because if you're right with God, you have a, a peace and a joy, even in troubled times he was talking about. I just got done doing a, well, I'm actually, I got one more week to go on a five-week series on when trouble comes. And it will come, just like you mentioned. It's going to come. You're going to have it. But we don't have to let that overwhelm us like the world does because we have that hope that he talked about today. Then it says in Matthew, this is number 9, we're just about done. Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Luke chapter 5, verse 32. You can take your pick because they all say about the same thing. It says this. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy, as Jesus speaking, and not sacrifice, for I, am not, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. When Jesus heard it, this is in Mark then, when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In John chapter 5, verse 32, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Listen, Jesus Christ came to bring us to repentance. To bring us to repentance. What does that mean in this world today? I believe, and you've probably heard me say this before because I say it everywhere I go, I believe we're sitting with church houses full of people who are lost. I like my wife refers to it. She was witnessing to somebody at work yesterday and talked to them about the fact that it's not about getting a fire insurance policy. It's not about somebody talking to you about hell and you just didn't want to go there, so you just prayed a prayer hoping to stay out of hell. Listen, repentance is still part of salvation. In other words, we, listened, we were listening to a, we were listening to somebody talk the other day about their testimony. Four different people given a testimony and not one of them could point to a specific time. I'm not talking about a date. 
You may not remember the date, but they couldn't point to a specific time that they remember just accepting the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of them had something to do with, well, along this path, along this line. In other words, it's almost like a work-to thing. Listen, every one of us in here, if you're born again, you might not remember the date, but you know the place and the time. You remember that. You never forget that. You can go back and recall that moment. Because it started with, and you didn't get saved, and you go back to that time in your mind right now, you didn't get saved without first realizing you were a sinner. And feeling bad for the fact that you were. If you, again, repentance meaning, we, we, we preach half of it. We preach the half of turning away from sin. But listen, can I tell you something? You can't even do that until you get saved. You don't have the ability. You are in bondage to sin until you get the Holy Spirit of God living in you. You don't have the freedom to do that. That's the back half of repentance. The, the part we miss on repentance is this, feeling regret, remorse, or sorrow for sin. We don't have many weeping conversions anymore. People that come to the altar crying and weeping and wailing and crying out to God, I'm a sinner and I'm lost, I need Jesus. It used to be that way. It used to be that when a person got up from praying up here and turned around, you knew they were saved just by their demeanor and what their, how their life changed. Anymore, we got people praying prayers and turning around and living the same way they lived before. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's what's going on in here. And it starts with repentance, with regret and remorse for sin. So many people today in our churches that are living in sin and don't seem to bother them one bit because I believe it's because they never had the regret or remorse and never had repentance to begin with. Listen, he came to call sinners to repentance. And lastly, probably won't like this one, but I'm just telling you what he said. Remember, these are only things he said. I'm only giving you verses that Jesus said. That's all I'm giving you. I wrap it up with this. Listen, he came, according to Matthew 10, 34 through 37, listen. Think not that I come to send peace on earth. Boy, that's what, we, that's what everybody talks about. Jesus came to bring peace to everybody. You know what? When he comes back and he's ruling from the throne in Jerusalem, he'll bring peace to this world. But this first time he came, this is what he says. Think not that I came to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace. And then he doesn't just say, don't think I did. He says, I didn't. He, he makes sure you understand what he's saying. I, that's not why I came. He says, I came not to send peace, but a sword. What does a sword do? It divides. It divides. He goes on in that portion of Scripture to say, For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be those of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Wow. He came to divide? That's what he said. Don't look at me with glaring eyes. I just read to you what he said and said twice. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to divide. I came to bring a sword. You know that verse I quoted for you earlier in John chapter 17, verse 17, that said, thy word is truth. That starts off by saying this. He's praying. That's Jesus' prayer to the Father for us and for his apostles. And he says, sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth. What does that word sanctify mean? Set apart, does it not? Sanctify means set apart. In other words, he separated us. Jesus came to divide us 
in where we are from where we used to be. To divide us, the goat, the sheep, from the goats. He came to divide. Look, your friendship isn't to be in this world. With the things of this world, and honestly and truthfully, the people of the world that follow the ways of the world won't want to be your friend if you're living the kind of life that you ought to be living for Christ anyway. It's going to bother them every time they're around you. These are the reasons Jesus came. According to Jesus. Not according to the preacher. According to Jesus. I gave you the verses. I mean, they're not hard to understand. They're not confusing. He says, for this reason I came, or I came for this reason. He's very clear on every one of those verses. I could find other verses throughout Scripture where it implies such a thing, but all I did was use the ones where he specifically said, this is why I came. Look, this is old-fashioned preaching. It's preaching an old-fashioned Savior. Somebody looks at me and says, man, you're just too old-fashioned. You know what I say? Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. Somebody looks at me and says, brother, you're just, and I've heard this before, you're just too black and white. I go, yep, so are the pages in that book. Amen, thank you for the compliment. <laughs> it's either wrong or it's right. There ain't no sense of complicating nothing. Preach Jesus. Preach Jesus. Preach his word. His word is truth. Preach truth. Those of you who are members of this church, you don't know how blessed you are because so many churches there are falling by the wayside and doing more entertaining than they are preaching. Your pastor still preaches the word. And he preaches it truthfully. He preaches it straight. He preaches it hard. He lets you know exactly what it is. It's not because that mean old preacher. It's because that loving preacher. It's because that loving pastor cares about you enough to tell you the truth. If he was trying to win a popularity contest up here, he wouldn't, tell, he wouldn't do those things. Is he more interested in how many likes he was going to have on Facebook? He wouldn't do those things. He's not worried about that. He's interested in helping you, loving you, keeping you from problems, keeping you out of situations, making sure you're born again and saved. Those things matter to him more than his popularity. It's not about his popularity. You know what? To see one of you saved, he, he, he really he doesn't care what you think. If you can see somebody saved. Listen, these are the reasons Jesus said he came. How do you portray Jesus when you talk to people? You know, I love what he said this morning about sometimes the problem is we just don't say anything. Now let me put that in perspective for you. You're sitting around a group of people. Boy, God, I don't know. I'm going back to trans. I think this is a hot topic. I think is why it's hammering out. But you're sitting in a group of people, all right? And you got somebody sitting there saying, well, you know, it's all right if they live. I mean, God made them that way. How many times have you heard that before? Oh, yeah. I leave God out of it, you know? I don't know where you get that from. There's nowhere scripturally you could come and say that God had anything to do with it. You know, God did, the God of this world. But you know what they're referring to. How many times do we just sit there and say nothing? You know what? When I sit there and say nothing when a conversation is like that is happening in front of me, people are going to say, well, preacher was standing right there. He didn't say anything. He must think it's okay. It's almost like you're giving him an amen. And he was right on. I didn't even think about that until just, he was right on with that this morning, even to, even to go with, and this isn't in my notes. This is just something he tied together with that. Listen, we Sometimes, if we really believe Jesus came to represent these things, this is why Jesus came, and we're his representatives, and we're supposed to be Christian, and 
Do you think Jesus would have stood around with that conversation going on and said nothing? Or you think he would have revealed sin? You think he'd have done the first half of the judgment? I think so. Look, our own silence sometimes is our approval. I don't know, church. We're in a mess, aren't we? Notice I say we're because I'm sitting here as I'm telling you this, and I can think of times I've been around situations and probably haven't said someone I should have. You know why? Because I'm no different than you are. And when I'm preaching at you, I'm preaching at me. If there's ever been a day for us to remember why Jesus gave, I want you to think about this as I close. When Jesus left, Jesus told them as we read, he said, I'm the light, right? But when he left, what did he tell them? Ye are the light of the world. Do you know that passed on to you and I? Why? Because he's not here any longer physically. We're physically here. We're what people see, and we have him living inside of us. We're supposed to be the light now. So what do we got to do? We got to reveal sin, push darkness away, reveal this is a violation of God's law, and then do everything we can, humanly speaking, to bring them to Christ, to bring them to a relationship and out of that darkness and into the light. I, I, again, I did not, when I, when I sat down and wrote this, I did not do this as some kind of a message to, to be pointed at the Christian, but it's turned out that way. I just was going to tell you some things Jesus said about why he came and just preached Jesus, but we have, a, we have a real responsibility when you really look at this. And we're not doing a very good job. We're not doing a very good job. That's we're. There's always more we can do. We can get content with sin real easy in our lives, but we, we get, you know, it's okay, but we, 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 we get too content, too content sometimes in our Christian walk. We should always be pushing and thriving to, to yield more to him so that he can use us more. Why don't you stand with me if you would with your heads bowed and your eyes.